Part One, Chapter Three of A Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Three, Mister and Missus Shelby. It was the design of the writer in delineating the domestic arrangements of Mister and Missus Shelby to show a picture of the fairest side of slave life where easy indulgence and good-natured forbearance are tempered by just discipline and religious instruction skilfully and judiciously imparted the writer did not come to her task without reading much upon both sides of the question and making a particular effort to collect all the most favorable representations of slavery which she could obtain and as the reader may have a curiosity to examine some of the documents the writer will present them quite at large there is no kind of danger to the world in letting the very fairest side of slavery be seen in fact the horrors and barbarities which are necessarily inherent in it are so terrible that one stands absolutely in need of all the comfort which can be gained from incidents like the subjoined to save them from utter despair of human nature the first account is from mr j k paulding's letters on slavery and is a letter from a virginia planter whom we should judge from his style to be a very amiable agreeable man and who probably describes very fairly the state of things on his own domain dear sir as regards the first query which relates to the rights and duties of the slave i do not know how extensive a view of this branch of the subject is contemplated in its simplest aspect as understood and acted on in virginia i should say that the slave is entitled to an abundance of good plain food to coarse but comfortable apparel to a warm but humble dwelling to protection when well and to succor when sick and in return that it is his duty to render to his master all the service he can consistently with perfect health and to behave submissively and honestly other remarks suggest themselves but they will be more appropriately introduced under different heads second the domestic relations of master and slave these relations are much misunderstood by many persons at the north who regard the terms as synonymous with oppressor and oppressed nothing can be further from the fact the condition of the negroes in this state has been greatly ameliorated the proprietors were formerly fewer and richer than at present distant quarters were often kept up to support the aristocratic mansion they were rarely visited by their owners and heartless overseers frequently changed were employed to manage them for a share of the crop these men scourged the land and sometimes the slaves their tenure was but for a year and of course they made the most of their brief authority owing to the influence of our institutions property has become subdivided and most persons live on or near their estates there are exceptions to be sure and particularly among wealthy gentlemen in the towns but these last are almost all enlightened and humane and alike liberal to the soil and to the slave who cultivates it i could point out some noble instances of patriotic and spirited improvement among them but to return to the resident proprietors most of them have been raised on the estates from the older negroes they have received in infancy numberless acts of kindness the younger ones have not infrequently been their playmates not the most suitable i admit and much good will is thus generated on both sides in addition to this most men feel attached to their property and this attachment is stronger in the case of persons than of things i know it and i feel it 
it is true there are harsh masters but there are also bad husbands and bad fathers they are all exceptions to the rule not the rule itself shall we therefore condemn in the gross those relations and the rights and authority they imply from their occasional abuse i could mention many instances of strong attachment on the part of the slave but will only adduce one or two of which i have been the object it became a question whether a faithful servant bred up with me from boyhood should give up his master or his wife and children to whom he was affectionately attached and most attentive and kind the trial was a severe one but he determined to break those tender ties and remain with me i left it entirely to his discretion though i would not from considerations of interest have taken for him quadruple the price i should probably have obtained fortunately in the sequel i was enabled to purchase his family with the exception of a daughter happily situated and nothing but death shall henceforth part them were it put to the test i am convinced that many masters would receive this striking proof of devotion a gentleman but a day or two since informed me of a similar and even stronger case afforded by one of his slaves as the reward of assiduous and delicate attention to a venerated parent in her last illness i propose to purchase and liberate a healthy and intelligent woman about thirty years of age the best nurse and in all respects one of the best servants in the state of which i was only part owner but she declined to leave the family and has been since rather better than free i shall be excused for stating a ludicrous case i heard of some time ago a favorite and indulged servant requested his master to sell him to another gentleman his master refused to do so but told him he was at perfect liberty to go to the north if he were not already free enough after a while he repeated the request and on being urged to give an explanation of his singular conduct told his master that he considered himself consumptive and would soon die and he thought mr b was better able to bear the loss than his master he was sent to a medicinal spring and recovered his health if indeed he had ever lost it of which his master had been unapprised it may not be amiss to describe my deportment towards my servants whom i endeavour to render happy while i make them profitable i never turn a deaf ear but listen patiently to their communications i chat familiarly with those who have passed service or have not begun to render it with others i observe a more prudent reserve but i encourage all to approach me without awe i hardly ever go to town without having commissions to execute for some of them and think they prefer to employ me from a belief that if their money should not quite hold out i would add a little to it and i not infrequently do in order to get a better article the relation between myself and my slaves is decidedly friendly i keep up pretty exact discipline mingled with kindness and hardly ever lose property by thievish or labor by runaway slaves i never lock the outer doors of my house it is done but done by the servants and i rarely bestow a thought on the matter i leave home periodically for two months and commit the dwelling-house plate and other valuables to the servants without even an enumeration of the articles third duration of the labor of the slave the day is usually considered long enough employment at night is not exacted by me except to shell corn once a week for their own consumption and on a few other extraordinary occasions the people as we generally call them are required to leave their houses at daybreak and to work until dark with the intermission of half an hour to an hour at breakfast and one to two hours at dinner according to the season and sort of work in this respect i suppose our negroes will bear a favorable comparison with any laborers whatever 
Fourth, the liberty usually allowed the slave, his holidays and amusements, and the way in which they usually spend their evenings and holidays. They are prohibited from going off the estate without first obtaining leave, though they often transgress, and with impunity, except in flagrant cases. Those who have wives on other plantations visit them on certain specified nights and have an allowance of time for going and returning, proportioned to the distance. My negroes are permitted, and indeed encouraged, to raise as many ducks and chickens as they can, to cultivate vegetables for their own use, and a patch of corn for sale, to exercise their trades when they possess one, which many do, to catch muskrats and other animals for the fur or the flesh, to raise bees, and, in fine, to earn an honest penny in any way which chance or their own ingenuity may offer. The modes specified are, however, those most commonly resorted to, and enable provident servants to make from five to thirty dollars apiece. The corn is of a different sort from that which I cultivate, and is all bought by me. A great many fowls are raised. I have this year known ten dollars worth sold by one man at one time. One of the chief sources of profit is the fur of the muskrat, for the purpose of catching which the marshes on the estate have been parcelled out and appropriated from time immemorial, and are held by a tenure little short of fee simple. The negroes are indebted to Nat Turner and Tappan for a curtailment of some of their privileges. Footnote. The leader of the insurrection in Lower Virginia, in which upwards of a hundred white persons, principally women and children, were massacred in cold blood. End footnote. As a sincere friend to the blacks, I have much regretted the reckless interference of these persons, on account of the restrictions it has become, or been thought necessary, to impose. Since the exploit of the former hero they have been forbidden to preach, except to their fellow slaves, the property of the same owner, to have public funerals unless a white person officiates, or to be taught to read and write. Their funerals formerly gave them great satisfaction, and it was customary here to furnish the relations of the deceased with bacon, spirit, flour, sugar, and butter, with which a grand entertainment in their way was got up. We were once much amused by a hardy fellow requesting his mistress to let him have his funeral during his lifetime, when it would do him some good. The waggish request was granted, and I venture to say there never was a funeral the subject of which enjoyed it so much. When permitted, some of our negroes preached with great fluency. I was present a few years since, when an Episcopal minister addressed the people by appointment. On the conclusion of an excellent sermon, a negro preacher rose and thanked the gentleman kindly for his discourse, but frankly told him the congregation did not understand his lingo. He then proceeded himself with great vehemence and volubility, coining words where they had not been made to his hand, or rather his tongue, and impressing his hearers doubtless with a decided opinion of his superiority over his white co-laborer in the field of grace. My brother and I, who own contiguous estates, have lately erected a chapel on the line between them, and have employed an acceptable minister of the Baptist persuasion, to which the negroes almost exclusively belong, to afford them religious instruction. Except as a preparatory step to emancipation, I consider it exceedingly impolitic, even as regards the slaves themselves, to permit them to read and write. Where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. And it is certainly impolitic as regards their masters, on the principle that knowledge is power. My servants have not as long holidays as those of most other persons. 
I allow three days at Christmas, and a day of each of three other periods, besides a little time to work their patches, or if very busy, I sometimes prefer to work them myself. Most of the ancient pastimes have been lost in this neighborhood, and religion, mock or real, has succeeded them. The banjo, their national instrument, is known but in name, or in a few of the tunes which have survived. Some of the younger negroes sing and dance, but the evenings and holidays are usually occupied in working, in visiting, and in praying and singing hymns. The primitive customs and sports are, I believe, better preserved further south, where slaves were brought from Africa long after they ceased to come here. Sixth, the provision usually made for their food and clothing, for those who are too young or too old to labor. My men receive twelve quarts of Indian meal, the abundant and universal allowance in this state, seven salted herrings, and two pounds of smoked bacon, or three pounds of pork, a week. The other hands proportionally less. But generally speaking, their food is issued daily, with the exception of meal, and consists of fish or bacon for breakfast, and meat, fresh or salted, with vegetables whenever we can provide them for dinner or for a month or two in the spring, fresh fish cooked with a little bacon. This mode is rather more expensive to me than that of weekly rations, but more comfortable to the servants. Superannuated or invalid slaves draw their provisions regularly once a week, and the moment a child ceases to be nourished by its mother, it receives eight quarts of meal, more than it can consume, and one half pound of lard. Besides the food furnished by me, nearly all the servants are able to make some addition from their private stores, and there is among the adults hardly an instance of one so improvident as not to do it. He must be an unthrifty fellow indeed who cannot realize the wish of the famous Henry the Fourth in regard to the French peasantry, and enjoy his fowl on Sunday. I always keep on hand for the use of the negro sugar, molasses, etc., which, though not regularly issued, are applied for on the slightest pretexts, and frequently no pretext at all, and are never refused except in cases of misconduct. In regard to clothing, the men and boys receive a winter coat and trousers of strong cloth, three shirts, a stout pair of shoes and socks, and a pair of summer pantaloons every year, a hat about every second year, and a great coat and blanket every third year. Instead of great coats and hats, the women have large capes to protect the bust in bad weather, and handkerchiefs for the head. The articles furnished are good and serviceable, and with their own acquisitions make their appearance decent and respectable. On Sunday they are even fine. The aged and invalid are clad as regularly as the rest, but less substantially. Mothers receive a little raw cotton in proportion to the number of children, with the privilege of having the yarn when spun woven at my expense. I provide them with blankets. Orphans are put with careful women and treated with tenderness. I am attached to the little slaves and encourage familiarity among them. Sometimes when I ride near the quarters they come running after me with the most whimsical requests, and are rendered happy by the distribution of some little donation. The clothing described is that which is given to the crop hands. Home servants, a numerous class in Virginia, are of course clad in a different and very superior manner. I neglected to mention in the proper place that there are on each of my plantations a kitchen, an oven, and one or more cooks, and that each hand is furnished with a tin bucket for his food, which is carried into the field by little negroes, who also supply the laborers with water. Seventh, their treatment when sick. 
my negroes go or are carried as soon as they are attacked to a spacious and well-ventilated hospital near the mansion-house they are there received by an attentive nurse who has an assortment of medicine additional bed-clothing and the command of as much light food as she may require either from the table or the storeroom of the proprietor wine sago rice and other little comforts appertaining to such an establishment are always kept on hand the condition of the sick is much better than that of the poor whites or free colored people in the neighborhood eighth their rewards and punishment i occasionally bestow little gratuities for good conduct and particularly after harvest and hardly ever refuse a favor asked by those who faithfully perform their duty vicious and idle servants are punished with stripes moderately inflicted to which in the case of theft is added privation of meat a severe punishment to those who are never suffered to be without it on any other account from my limited observation i think that servants to the north work much harder than our slaves i was educated at a college in one of the free states and on my return to virginia was struck with the contrast i was astonished at the number of idle domestics and actually worried my mother much to my contrition since to reduce the establishment i say to my contrition because after eighteen years residence in the good old dominion i find myself surrounded by a troop of servants about as numerous as that against which i formerly so loudly exclaimed while on this subject it may not be amiss to state a case of manumission which occurred about three years since my nearest neighbor a man of immense wealth owned a favorite servant a fine fellow with polished manners and excellent disposition who reads and writes and is thoroughly versed in the duties of a butler and housekeeper in the performance of which he was trusted without limit the man was on the death of his master emancipated with a legacy of six thousand dollars besides about two thousand dollars more which he had been permitted to accumulate and had deposited with his master who had given him credit for it the use that this man apparently so well qualified for freedom and who has had an opportunity of travelling and of judging for himself makes of his money and his time is somewhat remarkable in consequence of his exemplary conduct he has been permitted to reside in the state and for very moderate wages occupies the same situation he did in the old establishment and will probably continue to occupy it as long as he lives he has no children of his own but has put a little girl a relation of his to school except in this instance and in the purchase of a few plain articles of furniture his freedom and his money seem not much to have benefited him a servant of mine who is intimate with him thinks he is not as happy as he was before his liberation several other servants were freed at the same time with smaller legacies but i do not know what has become of them i do not regard negro slavery however mitigated as a utopian system and have not intended so to delineate it but it exists and the difficulty of removing it is felt and acknowledged by all save the fanatics who like fools rush in where angels dare not tread it is pleasing to know that its burdens are not too heavy to be borne that the treatment of slaves in this state is humane and even indulgent may be inferred from the fact of their rapid increase and great longevity i believe that constituted as they are morally and physically they are as happy as any peasantry in the world and i venture to affirm as the result of my reading an inquiry that in no country are the laborers so liberally and invariably supplied with bread and meat as are the negro slaves of the united states however great the dearth of provisions famine never reaches them p s it might have been stated above that on this estate there are about one hundred and sixty blacks 
With the exception of infants, there has been in eighteen months but one death that I remember, that of a man fully sixty-five years of age. The bill for medical attendance from the second day of last November, comprising upwards of a year, is less than forty dollars. The following accounts are taken from Ingram's Travels in the Southwest, a work which seems to have been written as much to show the beauties of slavery as anything else. Speaking of the state of things on some southern plantations, he gives the following pictures which are presented without note or comment. The little candidates for field honors are useless articles on a plantation during the first five or six years of their existence. They are then to take their first lesson in the elementary part of their education. When they have learned their manual alphabet tolerably well, they are placed in the field to take a spell at cotton-picking. The first day in the field is their proudest day. The young negroes look forward to it with as much restlessness and impatience as schoolboys to a vacation. Black children are not put to work so young as many children of poor parents in the North. It is often the case that the children of the domestic servants become pets in the house, and the playmates of the white children of the family. No scene can be livelier or more interesting to a northerner than that which the negro quarters of a well-regulated plantation present on a Sabbath morning just before church hours. In every cabin the men are shaving and dressing, the women arrayed in their gay muslins or arranging their frizzly hair, in which they take no little pride, or investigating the condition of their children. The old people neatly clothed are quietly conversing or smoking about the doors, and those of the younger portion who are not undergoing the infliction of the wash-tub are enjoying themselves in the shade of the trees or around some little pond with as much zest as though slavery and freedom were synonymous terms. When all are dressed and the hour arrives for worship, they lock up their cabins and the whole population of the little village proceeds to the chapel, where divine service is performed, sometimes by an officiating clergyman, and often by the planter himself, if a church member. The whole plantation is also frequently formed into a Sabbath class, which is instructed by the planter, or some member of his family, and often such is the anxiety of the master that they should perfectly understand what they are taught, a hard matter in the present state of their intellect, that no means calculated to advance their progress are left untried. I was not long since shown a manuscript catechism, drawn up with great care and judgment by a distinguished planter, on a plan admirably adapted to the comprehension of the negroes. It is now popular to treat slaves with kindness, and those planters who are known to be inhumanely rigorous to their slaves are scarcely countenanced by the more intelligent and humane portion of the community. Such instances, however, are very rare, but there are unprincipled men everywhere who will give vent to their ill feelings and bad passions, not with less good will upon the back of an indented apprentice than upon that of a purchased slave. Private chapels are now introduced upon most of the plantations of the more wealthy, which are far from any church. Sabbath schools are instituted for the black children, and Bible classes for the parents, which are superintended by the planter, a chaplain, or some of the female members of the family. Nor are planters indifferent to the comfort of their gray-headed slaves. I have been much affected at beholding many exhibitions of their kindly feeling towards them. They always address them in a mild and pleasant manner as uncle, or auntie, titles as peculiar to the old negro and negress as boy and girl to all under forty years of age. Some old Africans are allowed to spend their last years in their houses without doing any kind of labor. These, if not too infirm, cultivate little patches of ground on which they raise a few vegetables, for vegetables grow nearly all year round in this climate, and make a little money to purchase a few extra comforts. 
they are also always receiving presents from their masters and mistresses and the negroes on the estate the latter of whom are extremely desirous of seeing the old people comfortable a relation of the extra comforts which some planters allow their slaves would hardly obtain credit at the north but you must recollect that southern planters are men and men of feeling generous and high-minded and possessing as much of the milk of human kindness as the sons of colder climes although they may have been educated to regard that as right which a different education has led northerners to consider wrong with regard to the character of mrs shelby the writer must say a few words while travelling in kentucky a few years since some pious ladies expressed to her the same sentiments with regard to slavery which the reader has heard expressed by mrs shelby there are many whose natural sense of justice cannot be made to tolerate the enormities of the system even though they hear it defended by clergymen from the pulpit and see it countenanced by all that is most honourable in rank and wealth a pious lady said to the author with regard to instructing her slaves i am ashamed to teach them what is right i know that they know as well as i do that it is wrong to hold them as slaves and i am ashamed to look them in the face pointing to an intelligent mulatto woman who passed through the room she continued now there's b she is as intelligent and capable as any white woman i ever knew and as well able to have her liberty and take care of herself and she knows it isn't right to keep her as we do and i know it too and yet i cannot get my husband to think as i do or i should be glad to set them free a venerable friend of the writer a lady born and educated a slaveholder used to the writer the very words attributed to mrs shelby i never thought it was right to hold slaves i always thought it was wrong when i was a girl and i thought so still more when i came to join the church an incident related by this friend of her examination for the church shows in a striking manner what a difference may often exist between theoretical and practical benevolence a certain class of theologians in america have advocated the doctrine of disinterested benevolence with such zeal as to make it an imperative article of belief that every individual ought to be willing to endure everlasting misery if by doing so they could on the whole produce a greater amount of general good in the universe and the inquiry was sometimes made of candidates for church membership whether they could bring themselves to this point as a test of their sincerity the clergyman who was to examine this lady was particularly interested in these speculations when he came to inquire of her with regard to her views as to the obligations of christianity she informed him decidedly that she had brought her mind to the point of emancipating all her slaves of whom she had a large number the clergyman seemed rather to consider this as an excess of zeal and recommended that she should take time to reflect upon it he was however very urgent to know whether if it should appear for the greatest good of the universe she would be willing to be damned entirely unaccustomed to theological speculations the good woman answered with some vehemence that she was sure she was not adding naturally enough that if that had been her purpose she need not have come to join the church the good lady however was admitted and proved her devotion to the general good by the more tangible method of setting all her slaves at liberty and carefully watching over their education and interests after they were liberated mrs shelby is a fair type of the very best class of southern women and while the evils of the institution are felt and deplored and while the world looks with just indignation on the national support and patronage which is given to it and on the men who knowing its nature deliberately make efforts to perpetuate and extend it it is but justice that it should bear in mind the virtues of such persons many of them surrounded by circumstances over which they can have no control 
perplexed by domestic cares of which women in free states can have very little conception, loaded down by duties and responsibilities which wear upon the very springs of life, still go on bravely and patiently from day to day doing all they can to alleviate what they cannot prevent, and as far as the sphere of their own immediate power extends, rescuing those who are dependent upon them from the evils of the system. We read of him who shall at last come to judgment that his fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. Out of the great abyss of national sin he will rescue every grain of good and honest purpose and intention. His eyes, which are his flame of fire, penetrate at once those intricate mazes where human judgment is lost, and will save and honor at last the truly good and sincere, however they may have been involved with the evil. And such souls as have resisted the greatest temptations and persisted in good under the most perplexing circumstances are those of whom he has written, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. End of part one, chapter three, Mr. and Mrs. Shelby. Recording by Philip Gould.